0: Welcome to Places, Everyone, a conversation about the balance of art and business. I'm Lonnie Firestone. Actors want to be as wide-ranging as possible, to explore characters, settings, and time periods that are as varied as they come. And audiences are impressed when actors play someone far-fetched from themselves, especially when they make themselves unrecognizable. Yet there's something special about an actor finding a role that feels close to home, There's an intuitive connection that links them to the character and the world of the story. I found that balance with actor Michael Ziegen. You may know him as Joel from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Though Michael has barely anything in common with Joel's personality or actions, much less the experience of living in the 1950s, he does have a connection to the Jewish world that Joel lives in the knowledge of keeping kosher, the Jewish holidays the Summers in the Catskills, and the parents who have a formidable presence in his life. When I watch Michael play Joel Mazel, I can tell he gets it, and his authenticity impacts my entire experience of watching the show. Michael has played characters in Jewish environments before, like the off-Broadway play Bad Jews and the HBO series Boardwalk Empire, in which he played real-life gangster Benny Siegel. The cultural familiarity has enabled him to enter a narrative with a foundational layer of knowledge. But Michael also seeks range, and what made me take notice of his talent was his portrayal of an Italian immigrant in a brilliant revival of Arthur Miller's play A View from the Bridge that ran on Broadway in 2015. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel has taken Michael to the next level of celebrity, given the massive success of the show. He entered the show feeling a kindred connection to the Maisel family, but what keeps him engaged is playing a man he hasn't yet figured out. What is the experience for an actor of portraying a familiar world as an unfamiliar character? That's today's episode. And just to note, if you're not caught up on seasons one and two of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, there are a few big spoilers in our conversation. But first, something interesting from the intersection of art and finance. Ariana Grande is making serious money— For Rodgers and Hammerstein, her song Seven Rings has been hugely profitable for the Broadway composer and lyricist because it incorporates the melody of My Favorite Things from the musical The Sound of Music. Oscar Hammerstein and Richard Rodgers have passed away, but Concord, the company that now manages the Rodgers and Hammerstein music catalog, requested that they own 90% of the songwriting royalties, and Grande's label readily accepted those terms. Concord will likely make millions of dollars from this song. Seven Rings has held the number one spot on the Billboard singles chart for eight weeks. Grande's young fans may not know the connection, but the fact that she sampled My Favorite Things shows that musical theater has a place in pop music today. Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen seem like outliers for making that crossover, but musicals actually used to be the bread and butter of popular music until the Beatles came around. And now, here's my interview with Michael Ziegen. Thank you for joining me, Michael.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You've done some really diverse roles in your acting career, and we'll get to a number of them. When your agent shows you a new script or when you come across something in development, what draws you closer besides good writing and good storytelling? What I mean is what kind of characters do you find the most fascinating?
1: I don't know because it's just kind of instinctual with me. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy in that regard because I'll read something and think like, oh, this isn't me. And then, you know, my agents will have to try to convince me to reconsider yeah, I don't. I don't know what I'm drawn to necessarily. The writing is is key. So, um, but I don't. I don't know what in terms of like what type of character because I, I do I do want to play everything, you know. I in my lifetime, I would like to to do anything, everything, and anything.
0: Sometimes actors find themselves drawn to characters who are grappling with a certain thing or have a certain aspect in common with them or a way to get into it, that kind of thing. It sounds like you're saying you like to really keep it varied.
1: There are times I've played characters that have really nothing to do with me and uh, that are, you know, way out of my comfort zone. Um, when I did A View from the Bridge on Broadway, I mean, I really did not think I had any chance in hell of getting that part. I, you read the, the play and it, it's not me at all. Um, they keep talking about how big and strong the guy is. And I was like, well, that's not me. But then, you, you know, I got the part and then I hit the gym and I was, you know, put on eight pounds of muscle and you just do things that you never thought you'd be able to do. And I guess, I mean, that's what's really exciting. I just know what I like. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I knew A View from the Bridge was, you know, a classic American play, and it's Arthur Miller, so I knew it was was a quality project. I just didn't think that I was particularly right for it.
0: I first encountered you in Noah Baumbach's film, Francis Ha, Mm -hmm. which I really loved, and also in Girls, where you had a really excellent role in just a few episodes, And but then you already had guest roles in a few TV series. Rescue Me playing a firefighter, Walking Dead playing a zombie, yes. and in the HBO series How to Make It in America playing a kind of business Garmento. Yeah. yeah, like a mohar type. Sure. These were such varied experiences, I'm sure. Were you in the mode of embracing all possibilities or were you aiming toward a certain goal like an ongoing TV role?
1: Rescue Me was like my first real TV gig. That was the first time where I actually saw like a character evolve reading those, you could tell they're, they're all very different. And, and that, that's what I like. That's what I respond to. I like playing different characters and I've always considered myself a character actor. So like I said, I want to do everything. And these days it's actually kind of hard to do that because I feel like now in this industry, you get kind of chastised if you play something that's not you, you know, Mm. because then there's somebody who is like that character who gets passed over for that part. I want to give you a specific example, but I don't. I don't want to offend anybody. But, right. Um,
0: I mean, certainly that's the case with culturally specific. Well, that's goals. the thing.
1: You know, it's it's like uh, now. You know, people um, they've been asking us whether we're offended that Rachel Brosnahan is not Jewish and she's playing a Jewish character on Maisel. I think that that's ridiculous. It's because we're actors, and and and. Uh, in that respect, they're saying that I'm relegated to only playing Jews. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I want to play everything. So yeah, I don't subscribe to that theory at all. I think that as an actor, you should be able to play everything. Obviously, there are some instances where that's not cool, like playing an African American character. For me to do that would be offensive. And I get that because it's not believable. I think as long as it's believable, then, then I don't see a problem with it
0: you mentioned earlier of you from the bridge and it's what i actually wanted to get to next because i think it's when i realize the extent of your range as an actor well, so thank you <laughs> so as you mentioned um you play a character that is physically imposing um he's an italian immigrant who is kind of quiet and solemn and but he has a sort of solid sense of duty and responsibility and he famously lifts a chair over his head with one hand. Yes. So when you went in for that, how did you prove?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, obviously they saw something in me, they saw potential. Um, I yeah, I, I was I was not physically imposing and I knew that Mark Strong was playing the lead, Eddie, and I kind of had to be his antagonist. And I just thought like, there's no way I'm getting this because he is physically imposing. Mm -hmm. He's he's kind of a a wiry kind of guy, but just his, his whole demeanor is imposing if you didn't know him. And so I just, I, I really, I mean, I passed on the audition. I said, like, there's no way I'm getting this, so no. Some of the producers had seen me in a, a play prior to that, and so I got a call from my agents saying, hey, they really want to see you, and uh, I got it. And then, like I said, I had to immediately get a trainer and hit mm-hmm. the gym and put on muscle and drink protein shakes and <laughs> and lift a chair every night. Yeah. And that was uh, that was scary <laughs> because... Yeah. I dropped it once, not during a show, it was during a rehearsal. And, you know, that stuck in my head. You know, luckily it happened during a rehearsal, so... I was always kind of uh, cognizant of that. I guess if I had never dropped it, I might've been a little too confident <laughs> maybe, but uh, but luckily it never happened. And it was a heavy chair. It wasn't balsa wood or anything like oh, that. It was yeah. a real chair. It was no joke. Yeah, and uh, I had to lift it with one hand over my head, with the other hand behind my back. A- after hitting the gym for, for like a month at that point, like I did feel stronger and I felt like it was, you know, I felt safe and comfortable lifting it. So I don't know why they thought of me um, but i'm I'm thankful that they did because it was an experience like no other. It was my Broadway debut, and uh, that was always a dream of mine. And um, just a really fun time
0: Was the show Bad Jews that they had seen you in?
1: No, it was a, well, yes, um, they had seen me in, in that, but uh, it was this play called The Spoils that I had done with Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, Jesse Eisenberg, yeah. Yeah, which was great. But like, literally, like, that ca- the character I played in that play was so far from the character in A View from the Bridge that I don't know what they saw, but I guess they just thought that I could do it. And mm-hmm. uh, luckily, I think I did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: With all the range that you display in your many characters, um, I do you find something special in your Jewish characters? Because I feel that you intuitively get it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because I know a bit about your background, so I come in with that expectation. You were in uh, the off-Broadway play Bad Jews. Yeah. And you played gangster Benny Siegel in Boardwalk Empire, and now Joel Maisel in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And in interviews you've done, um, I've been struck by how you've said that when you read the scripts for Bad Jews and Maisel... You said to yourself, I know this guy, uh, in both of those instances, about those characters you would eventually play, were you referring to personal attributes or... A Jewish environment that felt recognizable.
1: Yeah, I think I think the second. You know, I'm not those guys, and uh, I just know that world. Though I grew up Jewish, and I grew up in a Jewish household, and especially in bad Jews, the stuff that that he talks about, because he's kind of more secular, I know those thoughts. I just know where he comes from, and and what he's arguing about. It just it just hit home for me with Joel. I mean, because I'm not him. I'm. Uh, not really at all him, but I just, I know that world and I know what it means to grow up Jewish and I think that's just sort of ingrained in the character and that's why I'm able to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, no one would say that Jews need better representation in Hollywood. That's what sound like a joke. Right. <laughs> but for characters that are distinctly Jewish, is there a benefit in casting Jewish actors to play them, if not for the whole cast, then for a portion of actors on set or a portion of the writer's room to lend a certain authenticity.
1: Yet. I think you need at least one. You know? <laughs> Doesn't have to be a rabbi or anything, but I think you need one person because I remember in the pilot of Maisel there, you know, she goes to the butcher and, uh, and somebody orders pork chops before, um, you know, before she makes her order, and and she's ordering uh, meat for the rabbi, and like so, no, you know, nobody would go to a a, a non kosher butcher to order meat for a rabbi. Yeah, you know, and uh, I was I wanted to say something, but I couldn't because it was my first day. I didn't want to get fired, but I I would have said something. And you know, at that point, I don't think we had any. But like Amy Sherman Palladino was half Jewish, but I don't think she really grew up in a you know a really Uh, Jewish kind of atmosphere and now they have uh, at least one writer on the the staff who is Jewish who's kind of their go-to what's the word dramaturg or something you know (laughs) somebody who's an expert who like they can go to and say hey is this kosher you know and and uh, so yes I do think that you need somebody you know I don't think it's just in terms of Judaism I think it's in whatever you're doing you just need somebody who's an expert or not even an expert just somebody who knows knows their stuff to make it, uh, you know, more valid and real.
0: Yeah. There are so many moments that feel very authentic to me. There's one scene where it's towards the end of Yom Kippur Mm -hmm. and everyone's very solemn um, in synagogue and then at the end of the holiday, there's this final uh, shofar blowing. Mm-hmm. And then everyone suddenly like jumps up and yeah. they're high energy and they run out. Yeah. Um, that felt very real right. from a personal experience. Clearly you they know. have someone on staff who's...
1: Now they do. Yeah. So yeah, that was the second season because uh, yeah, it was after the first episode. And I think they, they actually got a lot of shit for um, that pork chops thing. Like a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, but I think the Jewish community has been able to overlook it. Um, <laughs> but I did notice that they, in, in, in last season she goes back to the butcher and they kind of double down on it instead of like kind of fixing their, their, mm-hmm. they, they doubled down. Cause, uh, I remember it said something in the, in the window about, uh, some dairy thing. And it's like, oh, well they obviously wouldn't have that. And they still had like a, a sign that said about ham. And I was like, all right, So I guess that's the direction they're going. They're not going to, you know, try to um, yeah. fix what what they the mistake that they made in the first episode. They're just like, well, <laughs> this is not a kosher butcher, and that's that's what it is right and, and well, that's 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 their prerogative. That's what they want
0: in all of the Catskill episodes, The Catskills became this haven for Jewish families mm-hmm. in real life because they weren't allowed at other summer resorts, right. Yes, and then so what we think about being this like Jewish enclave was actually, like a default <laughs> environment. Mm-hmm. And so the, all these Jewish families are there not celebrating Tisha B'Av except for the convert. Right, <laughs> right. What are some of the aspects of the Maisel family that you do intuitively understand? Do you ever weave in, I don't know, pronunciations or gestures that you draw from personal knowledge?
1: It's probably just the, the argumentative factor involved. Um, I know how I react to my mother or my parents. And I just kind of use that. She just knows which buttons to push. And Mm -hmm. I think that maybe a lot of Jewish mothers can recognize that.
0: Right. And obviously in the show, the Maisel parents have a very heavy presence Mm -hmm. in Joel's life.
1: Yes. Yeah. Especially his father. I think that's that's the difference between me and, and Joel is like my I think my mother is, is more of that in real life, that person who knows how to push your buttons. And in, in the show, I, it's definitely uh, Kevin Pollock's character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a lot written about whether Marvelous Mrs. Maisel dips into stereotypes. I don't personally think it does. But when a religious or cultural world envelops a TV series, How do actors show the characters' foibles without slipping into those stereotypes?
1: It's a heightened reality. It's not real. And people talk about, yeah, it's a Jewish stereotype. But then, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've, I'm not really sure. I don't see it as stereotypes. It's just people. People have been asking that a lot, but it's, I just don't get it. I don't see what they see. But it is, it's, you know, you have to remember it's a TV show. It's a heightened reality. And it's a comedy.
0: I mean, the only time that I felt uh, the stereotype slip in, it wasn't the the wealthy Upper West Side, it wasn't that. Mm -hmm. It was Joel's parents hiding their money.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but that's, you know, but a lot of banks back in the day wouldn't even take money from Jews. So Mm -hmm. so I think that that made sense. I don't think that that's also, like, only restricted to Jewish people, uh, you know, hiding money. I think a lot of people... Hid money, I'm sure, but also, it, I mean, that also goes back to I think Nazi Germany, where you know uh, people had to hide mm-hmm. their money. You never knew when like the next being ready to leave. Yeah, exactly.
0: And the Maisel family definitely embody more of that sensibility. Sure, I, I don't know if in the writing of the show they had immigrated themselves, or I don't
1: think so. But you know, they're definitely the Maisels are more working class than uh, than the Weissmans.
0: When you play a character that you feel you know, you just get into it. Um, and it doesn't have to be a culturally specific one. Do you find that you get less direction on set? The directors trust you more when you come in knowing it?
1: See, but I'm the kind of person where I need direction. I, I need somebody telling me that I'm doing a good job or a bad job. You know, I need something. Because if I don't get direction, then I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. On Maisel, like Amy Sherman Palladino, she doesn't give a ton of direction. She thinks a lo- in terms of, I think, visually. But, uh, you know, every once in a while she'll she'll say, hey, don't don't be so angry on this line, you know, try this because she mm-hmm. knows the characters better than anybody, really. Um, we, we bring them to life. But, you know, she's had these characters in her head for a while. So
0: had the Sherman Palladinos seen you in Boardwalk playing? They did. Benicevel? Yeah,
1: yeah, they had Um apparently, Yeah, I, I didn't know this. Like, I just found this out that they had they knew who I was before I got Uh cast. I don't think they had necessarily thought of me for the character, but when my name was brought up, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. And then I auditioned in front of them and thought I completely blew it, but clearly I didn't, so.
0: Yeah, and also, even though those are totally separate, I think because they're both set in a certain time period in New York, Mm -hmm. you have the New York accent down, the sensibility, they're sort of scrappy in different ways, but both trying to like, get a little more successful in New York kind of thing you can see how a casting director would th- would see the potential there well it
1: was the same casting director so that helped too <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's
1: uh, yeah it's Meredith Tucker who's cast me in I think three things now so I like her yeah um, I think
0: it sounds like it's mutual yeah <laughs> I thought that after season one Joel's storyline would diminish because he's now removed from Midge. And the story is so much about her.
1: After episode one or season one?
0: After the end of season one. Okay. Um, But that was completely wrong. He has a really prominent role in season two. And um, your character storyline seems like just as essential in how it weaves in and out of Midge's, but also just in its own, like finding your own kind of passion at work. And then towards the end, having this, a sort of awakening of what you actually want to do mm-hmm. and i think a lot of viewers I, I certainly did have the the image that if you were to create a comedy club it would be your way to actually support midge in a way that's not romantic
1: possibly possibly <laughs> we'll
0: see um i was wondering did amy and dan expand joel's role after seeing you deliver on it
1: Oh, I don't know. I, you know, to be honest, I mentioned this. Uh, I asked if it was episode one or the season because, personally, after reading the first episode, I didn't know that he's coming back. Uh-huh. It was only after like I read the character breakdown that it said he's a he's a series regular, and I was like, oh, I guess he's in it for the long haul because in the first episode he leaves her, and that could be it. Yeah, really, and 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 that's what's kind of fascinating about this character is that for all intents and purposes he didn't need to be a series regular on this show like you know yes they have kids together but he really just could have disappeared after that and people probably wouldn't have even thought twice and yet here we are going into season three and and they're really exploring this guy and I think that that's so fascinating because he's really kind of the opposite of Midge. He's somebody who doesn't know what he wants, and she's somebody who clearly knows what she wants. And uh, juxtaposed together, I think that it's so interesting. I don't know if it was it was my performance that made them expand the character. I, I just know that they love Joel. And mm-hmm. uh, it is cool how, how he and Midge interact and how they'll always be in each other's lives because they do have these kids together and there still is that love there. And unfortunately, I think in in the first episode the moment you meet Joel he's going through this like you know quarter life crisis and easily hateable because he cheats on this perfect woman so like I understand the animosity towards him from the audience but it's cool how that even that is breaking down and how people who at one point were like I hated Joel now are saying oh he's not that bad <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well I think the infidelity yeah came as a result of Feeling so deeply insecure, sure, and kind of like pinching himself that this amazing girl married him, mm-hmm. and sort of screwing it up for really no reason.
1: Well, that's it. I think he was just self-destructive and just kind of wanted to blow everything up and then start over again. I mean, he says it in the first episode. You know, I'm not happy, and and yet, like, why? But his dreams have been crushed. You know, he always had these aspirations to be a comic, though he wasn't talented enough. And uh, I think it's heartbreaking for him and he's just kind of stuck. And so that's why he just wants to start over again, but he can't. That's not real life. Yeah, I, 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 I love it. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I, feel, I don't know if I feel as bad for him as other people. People come up to me, they're like, I feel so bad for him. And it's like, I don't know, he kind of did it to himself. Yeah. But the one thing he did get right was he, he did choose this amazing woman There obviously was this love between them, but I just don't know if it's ever going to come back.
0: Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite themes about the show is that there's a woman who is confident about making it as a successful comic and wanting to pursue it and be bold and gutsy and ballsy and do it on her own. But she's not trying to be a pioneer woman in society. She just wants to be successful. Uh-huh. And so, what I mean is, every other facet of her life, she's not only content with generational norms and, like, societal standards. She loves them. She wants them. Yeah. She wants the guy to row the boat. Yeah, she wants yeah, the guy right. to pay. She wants you to punch the manager of the <laughs> club. And I think that's so interesting. And it makes it really so nuanced because she's not uh, Gloria Steinem. She's not trying to, like, change women's roles in the 1950s. I don't think so. I think she personally wants to be successful. Yeah, And so I think that weaves in with Joel's storyline so powerfully and really beautifully because I think when when you come in to punch the manager it's like a way for Joel to feel this connection he's like somewhat back in he's somewhat back in her good graces yeah because she she kind of wants the man with the biceps yeah <laughs> and he's able to feel like he's still relevant in a way that can be tied to her her life
1: you know um this is something that Amy has said which Rachel disagrees with and that's that she doesn't, Amy doesn't see Midge as a feminist, but Rachel does, and rightly so. But yeah, I always, I always found that interesting that Amy doesn't really necessarily see her as a Gloria Steinem type. You know, at that time, during that period of time, there, like how many female comics were there? Not that many. So she, she is like revolutionary in that respect, and the the stuff that she says on stage uh, is clearly, I mean, I think it's it's very feminist. But but yet she can hang with the guys, you know? So I just always thought that that was interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I think like yes to Amy and yes to Rachel. Yes, right. Because I think the feminist is just saying, I can do this too. Right. I'm a woman and I can do it too. Why shouldn't I be successful? Mm-hmm. But I just mean, I think maybe more along with Amy's idea, I don't think she's thinking about women in society.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I think it keeps joel in the picture personally and also in relation to midge Mm because he's always especially in that end of the season i mean he's kind of still her person
1: yeah yeah uh (laughs) spoiler alert but yeah (laughs) can we talk about that i don't know yeah talk about it yeah because you know when i read it the last scene of of, uh season two i was i mean i loved it because you know this yeah this is the guy she feels most comfortable with it's her last kind of free moment before she embarks on this newfound journey. She wants to be with somebody who, who she knows loves her and who, where there's this unconditional love. And if she had asked Benjamin to be with him that night, I think that that would have been cruel because she would have mm-hmm. been leading him on. And, you know, she knew she wasn't really in love with him. And I don't know if she's in love with Joel, but there is love there. So yeah, I love that last scene. I really do. I, I'm getting a lot of shit for it because, <laughs> like, people people hate it. Some people are dig it, but others they can't get over the fact that she gives up Benjamin, who, like, you know, on paper was perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, a surprising moment. For sure,
1: sure. <laughs> sure. But it makes sense. It's just I don't know. I I thought it was genius.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did too, actually, because the show was such a monumental success. And arguably, you're like foray into a new place in your career, I think.
1: I hope so. <laughs> um,
0: I, it seems realistic that you'll have a, a lasting association with Joel. Like however many seasons, at least three, possibly mm-hmm. more. It will be like Michael Zegan, a.k.a. Joel, Maisel. Yeah. And to have that long-term connection with a character who you came in kind of understanding his world, and now through the writing you're finding all the different layers to his character and to his storyline. In my last interview with Sarah Steele, we talked about long-term roles impacting an actor. And I'm wondering how these past two years have enhanced your understanding about a character you think you know from the beginning.
1: Well, I don't think I do understand him fully yet. I think literally like episode to episode, you find out new information, especially this early on in in a series, because, you know, we've only done two seasons and, and the first one was only eight episodes and the second one's only 10. So there's really only eight, 18 episodes so far. L- like you said, there's so many layers to him. If you watch season two and you watch the first episode, I think the character is very different, kind of like if you ever saw the first episode of Seinfeld and they're all so different, mm-hmm. you know, because they didn't know who these people were yet. I mean, yes, I I knew the world, sort of, but I didn't necessarily know who this guy was. I was just kind of playing it as it was written. And and like I said, I work on instincts. And so that's how I was doing it. But every episode, you find out something new and all these layers are peeled back. I think you're going to have to ask me that question in like another two seasons or so. And Mm -hmm. then then I could really give a real answer because right now I don't really know who he is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what he wants. At the end of last season, he he talks about maybe I should start a club, and and that's cool. You know? <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that gives him just what he needs to to kind of thrive and survive and be happy. But maybe not.
0: Yeah, uh, you have a movie coming out with Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. where you play someone she meets online and yeah. online dating yeah. site in pursuing new roles and thinking about future things. Um, alongside Maisel running, are you seeking out those new possibilities and sort of not keeping it to the, the the New York world or the period piece or the Jewish?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, you always want to play something different, or at least I do. That part that I just played in that movie is very different from, you know, uh, anything I've played recently. It takes place now, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's You know, I'm so used to, like, <laughs> 1950s cars or gangsters yeah. or whatever can
0: you keep your natural hair
1: well yeah i i, I did i i had a beard i had long hair mm. um so i didn't have to put i didn't have to shellac it down with <laughs> with tons of hairspray um i don't even know if the character's jewish so yeah. they never talk about it which yeah. is cool online dating you know that's certainly not in uh mazel <laughs> so yeah like i said i want to play everything and so that was definitely cool that it was just completely different than than what i've been used to recently mostly i just wanted to work with with drew Mm -hmm. because i grew up watching her and and, uh she was she was just lovely
0: yeah well thank you for talking to me and i look forward to season three yeah me too and uh i wish you success in playing a wide range of characters thank you
1: (laughs) thank you so much
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow Places Everyone on Twitter. Podcast production and original music by Cody Crabb. Artwork by Jennifer Klockner. See you next time.